Alrighty, good evening everybody. Hello. This is the Fakeologist speaking. It is Monday, February 20th, 2023. We almost started this show on time. It's 8.02 p.m. Toronto time. That's my new way of describing our time zone. This is Toronto time because we do broadcast all around the world on YouTube, Facebook, DLive, Twitter, and of course my own video platform, FakeOTube. And if I say Eastern time, that's not going to mean anything to someone in Australia. And since the third most subscribed, most popular country that comes to my website is Australia, it's just a lot easier to say Toronto time. That way they can go to their favorite time converter. If you go to fakeologist.com forward slash live, you will find I have a link to date timeful. I think that's what it's called. Let's see if I can find it here. My 5,000 pages here. Anyway, it's, I think it's date time or something like that. And then you can, yeah, it's date, it's dateful.com. Go to dateful.com and that will give you whatever time it is wherever you are. And I'm going to get right to our guest because she is coming to us all the way from Australia. And I believe the Corporation of Victoria and the Corporation of Australia. And that is Cindy Niles. We've been looking so forward to seeing and hearing from you. Hello, Cindy. Hello, ecologist. Thank you so much for having me on today. Um, here in the Corporation of Victoria, um, which is the Eastern Seaboard of Australia, it is 12 um, noon. Amazing. I have so... So many of my favorite fakeologists are Australians. Canadians, forget about them. They're just, they just don't show up in the same volume as Victoria, especially Victorians. I have some of my favorite uh, regular fakeologists. One of them is in Geelong, uh, many Melburnians and around Melbourne. So I don't know what's happening in Victoria, but it's where some of the best content is coming from and visiting fakeologists, including yourself. Thank you. Well, there are a few test beds around the world. Um, we've risen to notoriety and put ourselves on the map, I think, uh, here in Victoria and in Melbourne. And I would uh, hazard a guess that it has to do with how long the program has been, been running here. Um, and also that we're not just designated as a resilient city and smart city, um, but also that we've taken um, on membership to the Strong Cities Network, and these all have to do with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And Strong City uh, designates uh, basically, in layman's terms, stronghold. So... We did get an accelerated program here. Um, the, the reasons why are, you know, speculative. Um, there isn't, you know, any spokesperson for the United Nations coming out and saying, well, you know, um, Mel we've chosen Melbourne for X, Y, Z reasons. Um, but definitely, yeah, this is what sort of put us on the map um, besides, you know, the tennis, I suppose, the... Uh, Australian Open, which is probably the only other thing that we were ever known for. Right. right. Um, and, and then there's that, you know, the uh, the inversion that that did come before COVID, 
Um, and that inversion was Melbourne winning the award for most livable city. Um, I, I think we won the award seven times. Yeah, and I each time that, it became yeah. more preposterous and more absurd um, to anybody who had their eyes, not their eyes open, but to anybody who actually reflected on their lives um, and who had lived in some other country and had experienced anything outside of Melbourne, um, those people would have understood that uh, there's something going on. So, Are the Strong sorry. Towns named after Maurice Strong, who was, I think, a Canadian slash, I think he was half Asian or something that was instrumental in bringing you it know, out? I've, I've never made that connection, mm-hmm. uh, but you could actually be right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides, you know, the, well, it's, you know, self-described, um, what it means. Uh, yeah. but hey, that, that would make sense. Maybe, cause there's also a strong towns, um, agency or NGO as well. And I linked up to them by, uh, visiting a, a YouTube channel that I actually quite like called Not Just Bikes. And that's a guy from my neck of the woods in Canada on Terrible, which is the largest province in Canada. And uh, he was mentioning how a lot of his terminology and knowledge about where he is, he moved from London on Terrible to Amsterdam. And it's called Strong Towns as well. So there's a lot of, I don't know if, I don't think they're related, but it's quite interesting how the word strong comes through a few times. And they're all um, very I, related. No, I think they would be related. Oh, okay. because you know it's it's smart cities and, and smart neighborhoods, and um, they they generally you know find a term and apply it across the board. Um, so I would imagine it is. There is very little sort of. It's not easy to look up the strong city. I mean, you can find the strong cities network with a simple Google search, but deeper information, um, you kind of really have to start searching extra terminology um, to find it. It's not as, uh, I don't know, it's not as... It's not available. Yeah. You don't get as much as you would with uh, with resilient cities. Um, and yeah. we, we seem to know a whole lot more about the sustainable uh, aspects yeah. of the program. Well, you can't see the screen, but I've got on here strongtowns.org. And um, it says here thousands of people across North America are working to make their cities... Safe, livable, and financially resilient. Are you ready to join the movement? So that really, it does sound that's, like it, it is the same that's thing. That's the one. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. So they yes. don't, none, none of it sounds terrible when you read their website and look into it. But um, before I, before I go on, I want to make sure I thank uh, Jenna and Brian, who are always helping find me guests because they saw my interest in communitarianism. And they helped bring Lark in Texas onto the broadcast. And he's the one that brought up your name uh, in glowing terms. He said, you have to find and listen to Cindy Niles. And I'd never heard of you or also Julianne Romanello. So I'd never heard of you two ladies. So I had to go digging. And then I found you have two different Facebook profiles. So I'm showing the, the screen as we're going here. I know you can't probably see the screen you're on your phone but you have two different profiles that i've linked to on facebook because i know you get shut down and and reinstated on facebook as they do as they like to 
Message. I'm up to my third profile now. Oh, you have another profile. Okay. No, 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 no. These are what you're looking at is number two, which is the gray t-shirt or blue t-shirt. And then there's okay. the red t-shirt profile, which is number three. Okay. Um, the original profile that was a picture of me, uh, behaving like a mermaid. Okay. Um, so it was an underwater shot basically. And nice. it looked like a mermaid. Um, and that profile got totally vanquished in August of 2020. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. It was a permanent deletion by Facebook without explanation, but it, it, we know why. But, um, so then I, that's why I've got, um, multiple. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I, I get it. Well, I'm locked out of my Facebook profile from years ago. And then they <laughs> wanted me to upload my ID. It was about five years ago. And I had a bit of a fakeologist profile on facebook but i didn't want to upload my my driver's license and whatnot i just said that's enough i don't really need facebook i know everyone is over there but i said a long time ago i'm gonna stick to my own platform and i've been blogging for the last 20 years and had fake fakeologists for the last 12 and i just keep all my data on my own on my own server and if it gets blown away well i have it on my own server i can just reinstate it and the other thing is I have my own video platform called FacoTube, which uh, is a little more expensive because streaming video uses a lot of data. And I'm very grateful to all the donors to fakeologist.com forward slash donate because it costs me about 200 US a month to run. I can show anyone the uh, receipts if they want, but uh, I'm happy to pay for it myself. But if anyone wants to donate, they can do that as well. And uh, it's all my favorite videos that I have that I want to keep in perpetuity. So that way, when I reference them on my blog, people find them and they don't have to worry about a blank page or a deleted page like on YouTube or Rumble or any of the other guys that that bring you in there for free and then they dump you at will. So instead of worrying about that, I just do it myself, which everyone can and should be able to do. So, And, and I also offered you as I have others, and almost very few people take me up on it, I'm not sure why, to, um, you can, you can live stream on FacoTube. I've done it once or twice from my phone, but that's not my thing. But I obviously live stream from my computer. So you could do that too if you so wanted. And I've put your, my favorite videos from your Facebook onto FacoTube. Um, I could put all of them, but I just, I try and just pick a selection of the stuff that I really like and then put links to it so they could go to your your profile as well. That's where I put the source. If I were more organized, I'd even I'd have copies of my own work, right? Um if I had any sense uh, about technology other than the the theory, um the practice coming um and the application of it. Uh, of the theoretical application of it from the uh, predators, that would be great. Um, I, I'm just one of those seriously uh, disorganized people um, who who's always looking at the next the next new thing, you know, um, with inverted commas, um, and also trying to put the next new thing into the framework of the bigger picture, and so. You know, that's always my priority rather than something I've already done. Um, 
uh, it would be nice to have an assistant, but that's just never going to happen. I've tried begging my sister to help me do this, but she won't. Um, well, there might be people. No, the only person I trust at the moment. All right. Yeah, well, so. that's, that's fine. Well, you're more of the creative thinker, and the creative thinker can't be captured into all these little nooks and crannies to put everything in a line and, and organize. I get that. That's fine. You're more of an artistic type where you just are constantly uh, looking and um, creating. There's just not enough time. The administration mm-hmm. is is really heavy. Um, oh, I know. Of just running a profile um, and keeping up to date, you know, with um, my my friends, you know, my little clique, um, the people that I associate with, and the people whom, you know, when I say trust, you know, to, like to the degree that so far these people haven't um, haven't disappointed me with the content that they create, the ideas that they have. It doesn't mean that our um, perspectives align um, entirely, um, but I, I don't see any red flags with those people. Um, That's good. So, how long have you been a true? I, I think I could call you a truther, and that's not a derogatory term because I'm a truther. How long have you been awake or looking into things or just being curious as to the official story? I, I think. Um, I would say that I was kind of brought up this way. Mm-hmm. There's never been a, a defining turning point that um, I can I can point to. Um, most people will say, "Oh, it was 9/11 that woke me up," or "It was um, this vaccine injury that woke me up," or, or something along those lines. And I can give, I can cite many examples um, that uh, catalyzed me to get to this point uh but i'd say that even as a young child i had i didn't have a lot of fun with other children because i thought they were stupid um (laughs) because they didn't want to talk right they all wanted to just play games um i was an only child up until i was six and a half and i was surrounded by adults and my cousins were older and so on and so forth and i what i found stimulating was actually conversation and uh, observing people and the human condition. Um, and, but uh, I suppose a, um, a memorable moment is when, when I brought home some, some grades. Um, I used to attend Greek school when I was a child, um, which meant, uh, that was a Saturday school. So it was one day a week. Um, so I went to regular, normal Australian school for five days. And then on Saturdays, I was sent to, to Greek school to learn Greek. My parents are Greek. Okay. Um, and I brought home my, um, my test results, which said A plus. And I showed them to my father and he said, well, what do you expect? We pay, we pay them. Um, <laughs> and this, this really hurt, right? I was just a child. I was, um, under 10. Right. Ooh, that's a little cutting. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was nothing about me and my achievement. It was that we were paying and, um, and that stuck with me. Um, you know, it was a seed that was planted and, and I would say probably that's what kicked things off. Um, you know, a type of ingrained cynicism. Um, you know, in, in, in our emails, you, you sent, you know, a list of things that we might talk about. Yeah. And one of those things was, um, the seven up series. Yes. Um, love that. 
Love that so, series. Yeah. So let, let's go back to the Greeks. Aristotle said, the, the philosopher, give me a boy until he is seven uh, and, and I will give you the man or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, I'll show you the man, yeah. Um, and so I, I think I was kind of, my character was formed by the time I was seven. I was quite serious as a person, as a child, even. Um, and yeah, I think my dad played a big role in that. So you know, to get to the point, you know, what, what made me a truther or a person seeking uh, to understand, um, because I, Sense making. Who was it? Matthias Desmet, right. uh, the guy that talks about uh, what is it? Something psychosis. What does he call yeah. it? Yeah, so, oh, I've I've kind of blanked him out of my mind, but it's uh, yeah. because he was sort of discredited and maybe working for the bad guys. Um, yeah, Quite possibly. Yes. But, yeah, uh, mass mass formation. Mass psychosis. formation, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, uh, there there, there is a. I think a good point that he makes about sense making, you know, and do we seek sense making? Um, and I've that, you know, to use a new age term of that resonates with me. Um, mm. that, that does reflect who I am. I'm always looking to make sense of things. I've never been happy, um, to learn things by, um, by repetition or, or rote learning. And I think that that stems from the fact that I have a terrible memory, to be honest with you. Like, I think there's a real reason why I rejected um, being taught things off by heart right. and without meaning because I could not perform in tests that way. Something had to make sense to me for me to be able to retain it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've been a, a sense-making seeker all my life um and i'm never sat not i'm not satisfied i just have never been able to defer to people's research or research in general um because this is another thing that you you mentioned in the email you said um you know let's do you want to talk about um you know your your research when did you start your research um and, and who are your favorite uh, uh I don't know, other tellers of truth and other researchers. And, right, and I, yeah. I mean, it's not that I haven't looked and that I haven't read and that I don't want to hear people's opinions. I do. Um, but it's not the ground I stand on. The ground I stand on is my observations and my experienced reality. So if something doesn't line up with my personal experience of reality. And that would mean I've missed out on a lot of things, right? Because I'm just one person. I can't have experienced a lot of things. Um, but if I can't extrapolate to something in my own life, um, then it's something I, I, I won't have an opinion on. For example, aliens. I haven't had a direct experience or any kind of personal experience of aliens. Yeah, me neither. I would, I, I could say the same for, um, religion. You know, God hasn't come to me um, to talk to me personally or to sort of d deliver some kind of message so that I can go in that direction. And so that, that remains an intellectual sort of pursuit, but it's not something that, you know, I'll stand on a hill about and yell 
about and try to convince others of because somebody else wrote something really good about it or most of the population of the planet has, you know, feels this way about it. So I'm not sure where this, where I started. Well, we're just talking about hmm. <laughs> how, you know, how you became a truther. So it sounds like you were born a truther. I'm, I'm, I'm very similar in the way you describe yourself. It's the way I describe myself as well. I just probably didn't want to play as much with the other people. Uh, I just wanted to go my own way. Um, I, I was okay probably at memorizing stuff, but, uh, I was also a bit of a thinker, but, uh, and I always had to work really hard to be smart in the sense to do to do well. I just had to work hard. Some people just sit back and they're autistic about it. They're just really they get things, math concepts. So, so I've always had to work hard to figure out what's going on in school and in reality. I think, and wasn't much of a person to play around and just go with the flow. I always went upstream when everyone went downstream. So I think we're similar of similar backgrounds and ideals and you're sort of you're just born this way and not to you know and to to balance really what i'm saying um what i love about other researchers um actually i'm not even really i don't even know if i'm a researcher i don't even know if that's the correct title for me i would just say i'm a you know self-appointed propaganda analyst or interpreter is what i might say i am um but what I like about other people and their writing is when they bring to my attention something that fits into the puzzle. Oh, yes. I'm the same um, way. Yeah, that's what know, I like, do. Oh, yeah. You know, that makes so much sense. Um, you know, finally, you know, there's a dot that connects this and that. And you you spoke about Lark. Um, yeah, Lark in Texas. Earlier, yeah. And, uh, Jenna and Brian and, um, they're, they're part of the anti-communitarian movement. Yeah. Uh, and I met them through the late, uh, Nikki Rapana. Mm-hmm. And Nikki Rapana, um, provided not a piece of the puzzle. I would say she provided the framework. She had the edges of the, the puzzle. The whole frame. Yeah. Um, with she... communitarianism. Yeah, she did the and edges of the puzzle. Was... Pardon? She did the edges of the puzzle. You know how there's people that you're supposed to do the edges first? And then Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I think she really built the whole the framework and she has a good book and I have that on my website somewhere. You just look on my website under Agenda Twenty One topic, you'll probably find it, but I have that PDF that I've provided on my book and I have talked to her daughter Nordica about a year or so ago. And that was interesting as well. That's really before I really knew what communitarian and communitarianism is. And, um, yeah, I wanted to get Nikki on, but then found out that she died, which is really sad, but she, man, she was living a hard life. She really, she really looked like she was just overexposed to the elements. Not a great thing to do. I don't think (laughs) when you're trying to, trying to stay healthy. However, that's what happened. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I'm the same way with the puzzle. And I get really excited when I meet really great researchers or people that really speak well about the whole thing like yourself because I never heard of you. And then all of a sudden, oh, you're another huge piece of the puzzle. 
And then I can just overlap your research with other research. And I'm every week just building this massive puzzle that really explains what's going on. And I, I got that's, that's my favorite part about research is meeting and finding new research that really makes a, a, an amazing mosaic. And that I'm not really a researcher. I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a scrapbook person where I just, take people's research and put them in my scrapbook and make this huge scrapbook and uh hopefully others can look at it yeah yeah uh i would say i'm a bit i'm i'm very very similar um you know communitarianism has been quite literally the most difficult thing that i've ever tried to wrap my mind around because it's so big um so even though my my strengths would be big picture you know the forest mm-hmm. not the detailed tree um communitarianism has been uh, the, the longest journey you know other people think oh covid happened and i learned that vaccines are bad for you and i sort of reflect differently um because i'd figured out what vaccines were a little while ago um COVID happened and I understood communitarianism and, and how, you know, the, you know, one world government, you know, how it operates. Um, yeah, theory is always the thing that tickles my brain. Um, because theory can be applied to, to many things in reality and practicality. Um, you know, trying to parse um, and understand and tease out all the details, uh, will have you spinning for years. Um, you know, you know, details like, um, oh God, where to start? You know, basically, you know, the next new thing, you know, keeping up with the news cycle, which the never ending, yeah. um, thriller of what's on the television. Right. You know, um, we have, you know, the train derailment. Yeah. I was just you know. looking at that before you came on because I have a forums called fakeologist.com forward slash forums too. And I don't even keep up with my own forum. I put, I put it there so I can go there and find research. And someone just put a couple of videos of boots on the ground in East Palestine or East Palestine where the guy's walking around and there's really not much going on. Okay. The train went off the rails and they, they burned it because they thought that would help. And, uh, there's not a whole lot. Life is, life is going on. I never had heard about it and they've made it into this big thing. But yeah, you're right. You can get so distracted. I chose to ignore it. Uh, but people are bringing me stuff to look at. So I usually look at it because it's on my own website. So yeah, it's distraction of the week. It's. It's both. It's mm-hmm. both a distraction, um, but it's it, but it's a distraction with um, with basis, right? Because a whole heap of people, it looks um, that they've been poisoned, um, that the damage is going to be long term. Um, you know, much like radiation spills and other toxic spills, and um, the spraying in the skies and and the uh, biotechnological weapons that they've been injecting um or presumably um that's what they are you know allegedly see this is where you know what i was describing before you know what's my own personal experience can i determine what's in those vaccines or do i have to take somebody's word for it 
Um, and that means having to trust the person that's producing that uh, research or doing that science. And I, I think the one thing I've learned in life is just you can't really trust. Yeah. Um, don't, particularly any don't trust the science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't trust. Yeah. I, yeah. Science and science changes, right? And this is, um, I think this is why this technocracy of lawmaking around science and technology is one of the major components and pillars of the new world order. And what do I mean is because it's fluid, because science is, um, it's an endeavor. It's a, it's an endeavor till the end of time until we, we no longer have brains, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the science, you know, 10 years ago said this and five weeks ago said that. And in, and in six months, it will say something else. Uh, technology is the same. Um, it was this, it will become that. And yeah. in the future, we don't know what it'll be. Um, you know, this co- uh, constant evolution of both of those um paradigms um is that they're changing you know in in today's jargon newspeak you would say that they're fluid and what does that mean it means that you can mold them and put them in whatever bottle and present them however you wish um whenever the need arises so a a law system <clears throat> a governance system built upon technology and science is something you'll you'll never know what your rights are what your obligations are Uh, you'll never know where you stand in life you'll always be looking to well what's the science this week do I have to wear a mask or not do I need to get a booster or not um should I take that vitamin pill or not um that's fluid very fluid Very fluid. It's very fluid. Yeah. But it's a moving yeah. target. You can't pin it down. Yeah. So this is like a kind of moral relativism. And to get back to communitarianism. Um, yeah. I want to uh, talk uh, about that. Let's, let's go through your points. You made a whole bunch of points. So if nothing else, I want to make sure we cover communitarianism. Okay. Cause that's what so, everyone's here for. They really want to hear about that. And you have a good but, handle on it. Why is it that only why why don't why aren't the governments that of the day why aren't our rulers telling us that this is what's coming this is what they want to bring in why isn't that happening why is it why are they hiding it from us if it's so good isn't that a good question mm-hmm. if it's so damn good right mm-hmm. for the good of everybody because this is all about the common good yeah. Uh, that is the the basic underlying. I don't know. No, it's the campaign. It's the jingle for the greater good and for the greater good. Um, yeah. And uh, how is that not something to brag about? Uh-huh. Um, and that's because when you look a little bit into communitarianism, because you know, I I profess I, I don't know. You know, I think I, I know about 1% of it, but knowing 1% of it of communitarianism is a, is a whole lot more, um, than most would imagine. It's huge, this topic. It, 
Um, and that's why I call it the frame of the puzzle because it seems that there's nothing I've come across since understanding communitarianism that doesn't fit into this puzzle. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm still at 1%. I think I could spend a lifetime on it. And I think I have spent a lifetime on it. And, you know, why is it hidden? Because essentially, um, there's a, uh, there's a guru. Okay. So the modern communitarian guru, the guy that writes all about it, his name is Amitai Etzioni. Mm-hmm. He's written a book called Happiness is the Wrong Metric, a liberal communitarian response to populism. Um, now, not, not to, you know, what's the, what's the crux of it? The crux of it in the introduction tells you that it's about applied ethics. It's the science of moral duties. And this is what will put the happiness in you'll own nothing, but you will be happy. Mm-hmm. So what they've done is they've studied, you know, what makes people happy, what makes them miserable. And they've decided and they've come up with, well, you know, affluent people in the um, developed countries, well, um, there isn't a correlation between more money equals more happiness or more material wealth equals more happiness. There seems to be sort of like a, a break-off point where there is no correlation uh, between how much money you have and how happy you are. But this is like a false premise, right? Um, to, I mean, after the point where you've, you know, satisfied your basic human needs of, you know, having enough food, having the correct food, having enough medicine, the correct medicine, um, having enough space in your house, having, you know, a car to get around. Um, the, when you satisfy, you know, Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs or whatever, after that, after that point, um, they're arguing that, well, um, material wealth doesn't bring happiness. Um, but that just leaves out all of the variables of a society under demolition, right? An internal demolition of society. It's like, we're just not going to look at the fact that, um, we have intentionally made you sick. We have intentionally broken you spiritually. We have intentionally, intentionally uh, and deliberately made your material goods, uh, so that they don't last very long, so that they don't perform how they should, um, so that you are actually the product, not the thing that you bought. So it's if you go right, right down to the bottom of it, um, it, it's a false premise. However, that doesn't stop them, and it never has, right? Mm -hmm. So this whole book is devoted to technocracy, and that is the science of moral ethics and and applied ethics which actually means um codifying um morality into the law and this is in opposition to um a liberal democracy and having um personal individual rights and that's being the basis of um western societies as it has been for many uh, many many years now See that that's the um, that's the Western um, ideology, right? That as long as I don't hurt anyone, I should be allowed 
to um, reach my potential and to, and to seek my happiness um, and to, to, to make money or, or to do whatever it is that I want to do. Um, Eastern philosophies, on the other hand, and I speak in generalizations, right, because there's no way we can go into, you know, each each philosopher, I can't research each philosopher. I can't research each ideology on the planet. So, um, and I've always been a generalist. So, um, two, uh, two, two opposing ideas because communitarianism is very much about always pitting two extremes together, All right. um, forcing people to choose these polar opposites and to polarize themselves. Um, and then, the um, synthesis comes in, you know, the solution to the problem reaction solution or the uh, synthesis to the thesis, which means a position, antithesis, which means the opposite position, and synthesis means the merging of those two positions. Um, so we've got this communitarianism, uh, which is very much predicated on the Hegelian dialectic, which I just described. Mm-hmm. And we've got Eastern philosophy, which is collectivism in general. So generally, it's the doctrine of um, the greater good, okay, um, and self-sacrifice. Um, and, um, you know, there are even plenty of examples, I suppose, in uh, I think Hinduism and, and uh, these are sort of Eastern uh, doctrines, uh, which we sometimes call religions, but... Um, under the definition, they don't really fall under the definition of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually fall under uh, law. So those uh, ideas and principles um, are being blended with the Western idea of, well, I- individualization um, and um, individual rights. Property um, rights, too. That's a big one. Well, exactly. So to abolish property is is key to abolishing individual rights because if you don't have your own house, your own car, then you are at the mercy of whoever owns that um, to determine how you sleep, yeah. what you eat, how you get about, if you get about. Um, so... This is what's anathema to, to Western people, um, because it's in our culture to not think that way, right? And I, and probably the reason for can, well, not probably, most likely the reason for cancel culture, canceling our culture, canceling our, um, our languages, our identity, our skin color, yeah. our differences. Um, and this is, I suppose, the, Another overarching theme in communitarianism is that one world government, so the, uh, the, the pitch to the public is conflict resolution and, uh, and getting rid of, rid of the va- uh, variables that bring about conflict. And the variables that bring about conflict are differences. Um, so if we get rid of all the differences that we have, okay. Yeah. So if you stop having your culture and your language, um, and your own ideas, um, if we get rid of your gender, 
um, and I get rid of mine. And we, um, we will, we'll get to the point where there's nothing that, um, is distinctive about either of us. Um, and, and also in this communitarianism, abolishing private property, blah, blah. Yeah, that's a big um, one. There's this equity thing, right? You know, you'll each be given X amount of credits. You'll all have the same. You will have nothing, um, to be, um, nothing to aspire to, nothing to be jealous of, nothing to say it's not fair because we're all the same. Um, and so this is, this is like the ultimate idea of, well, we'll get rid of all the things that make us special and unique, um, and distinctive. We'll get rid of, and that means getting rid of culture and everything that our ancestors did and thought. Um, and all the things that I have will have to be the same as what you have. And therefore we will not fight anymore. I don't know what we'll have to live for, however, in this scenario. Yeah, everything is bland. Everything is gray. No property well, since possession. It says here on my screen, We well, most of us have heard the saying, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Well, if you get rid of privacy and private property, then that's nine-tenths of the law will be gone because we won't need to fight over the car or the house or who has what because it will all be given to us by the state. And they're sorting out who gets what. So there's no possession laws. There's just none, none of that. So that, that to me is a huge, the huge thing when it comes it really, to communitarianism. So I can see why they, now you can start to see why they wouldn't tell anyone what's coming. The young people who may not have as much, they're going to be okay with it because they don't have anything to lose. But the people in the middle that work their whole lives and the older people who have come up in this existing system, they have less to lose because they have less time. But on the other hand, if they want to give it and pass it down, that's where I fear that things are going to get messy and stuck and stolen in the next few years. I think a lot of people think that way as well. To well, mm-hmm. I, I think what's brilliant about the New World Order mm-hmm. is how much foresight they had um, and how much they set it all up. You know, so that each, each little domino would bring about the next one. Right. So what you say about, you know, the younger generation hasn't got anything to lose. Well, that's correct. You know, I spoke to a couple of, um, young women in their twenties the other day mm-hmm. and I said, do, do you think you're ever going to own a house? And they giggled and giggled and laughed at me. Um, I could see the pain in their eyes. Um, and, but at the same time, they knew that they would never have the opportunity, uh, to be homeowners and property owners. That's how the, that's how I mean, it's plain as day. Mm-hmm. I, when I was, um, about 20 years old, I was earning 26 Australian dollars an hour in a, um, in a sunglass hut. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we have that. Worked. Yeah. That's all. That's global. It was actually, it started off as Sunglass World, uh, which was an Australian company, which was bought out by the uh, international conglomerate of Sunglass Hut. So now we all have to have the same thing. You know, when we were offshoring all the jobs, um, the company I worked for was bought out. And I was, so I was work, work, earning $26 an hour. Fast 
forward to when I'm 42 or 43 or whatever. And I came back to Australia. And um, so I had been living in Greece for nearly a couple of decades. And I came back and I was pretty desperate for work. I had a family friend offered me a job um, for the same money. Australian dollars two decades later, more than two decades later. So forget the inflation part, right, you know, where those $26, it's it's just insane, right? So, you know, this dollar has lost so much value. Things have gone up in price a thousand times and they're still offering, and this was like the kind of like basic kind of wage. Yeah, I've seen it too. That's yeah, in my business too. I'm in transportation still and I've been in it for 35 years. So I see the prices. I know they haven't moved really. So I see, I see what people are doing things for and I uh, shake my head. And I've, I've, I've just always been a super conservative saver. So I knew potentially one of these days this was coming where potentially you could lose it all. So as long as you are able to save it and and invest in a, in a strategic way. I think I think it can survive. But if you're foolish and spendthrift, then well, I think, I feel bad um, for anyone in that can I situation. Ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm I'm 55. Okay. So I've been working well, a long time. Yeah, <laughs> a long you time, have and I'm still working. To save. Yeah. But oh let's yeah. Be fair. Um, there is no opportunity to save nowadays with the wages that are on offer. You will barely survive if you do not have another person working in the same household. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I can um, see that. So that would have, that's great advice of, you know, be thrifty and whatever, um, to people of the past. But today, um, that's gone. They got rid of it. Um, and I think, uh, we, we should probably, I don't know talk about you know the economy and that well we've we've lived in a world that is driven by economy there's pretty much not anything not any field no paradigm no you know aspect of life that isn't connected to the economy and so this whole reset um you can you know we can talk about Things like, you know, applied ethics and the law and a one world religion. And we can talk about details like vaccine passports and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, that reset is an economic reset. That oh, new world sure. order is a new international economic order. And when you shift, um, when you change the, you know, the foundations, it has a knock on effect on absolutely every aspect of life. And I think the most, um, depressing aspect of it is that with communitarianism and this new economy, this um, environmental social governance structure <clears throat> is that your one's worth um, in life um, and what they're entitled to will be um, based on, you know, their behavior and actions as as read as um um as analyzed by 
algorithms coded by humans, of course, um, that determine, you know, are you a good person? Um, are you a socially good person? And are you an environmentally good person? Um, did you recycle? Uh, did you volunteer? Because this is very much a, vol- uh, a volunteer society we're moving into. In, uh, and I don't know, you know, how long it's going to take uh, to take all the steps from money to just credits. Right. You know, there will be overlap of money and social credit. And then at some point it'll, it'll get to just straight, straight social credit, just digital tokens and credentials and absolutely nothing to do with money at all. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so we've, you know, I can, I can speak to Western culture. Um, our, and I would even say, I, no, I won't speak to Eastern culture. I don't understand it enough. Um, that our priorities, right, are, besides ourselves our our inner circle our family our next of kin this is where we derive um our value in society comes from actually you know how well you know our parents love us how much we love our children how much they love us back how much um the connections that we have with our friends with our bosses with our colleagues uh with our our classmates you know the people we know in real life um are the people that determine um, how successful we are or not on a personal level and, you know, in a, on a, on the sort of career scale or the financial side because, you know, you have to pl- please your boss um, to get that uh, promotion or that money. Um, the new communitarian model is about pleasing the algorithms, checking the boxes, um, which are designed for the greater good. Now, the greater good actually means the children who are starving in Africa to use that totally, um, that platitude, whatever. Um, it is, you know, how the people on the other side of the country are faring on some scale, some metric that the UN determined, right? So you will be working towards um, checking boxes that you uh, somehow contributed to the greater good of the whole world, of all the people on the planet. And in order to receive enough credits so that you survive, so that you have, um, transport credits, so that you have carbon credits, so that you have, you know, credits to eat meat once a week or something. Which means a shift in priority. So instead of trying to please your boss, instead of trying to please your mother, your father, um, your colleagues, the people in your sports group or whatever, you'll always be, your, your whole priorities will shift to tick boxes, um, on the blockchain to have, you know, credentials on the blockchain, which are the definition of who you are and what you're worth. And this will be the final, the final nail in the coffin, um, of, humanity because we won't have any humanity left because we'll be um, pandering to algorithms um, and not our social bonds. Our social bonds will be meaningless because they will be determined 
for things that are remote, things you can't see, things you can't touch. You'll be doing something in a voluntary voluntary with inverted commas, right? Yeah. Uh, forced to do something, um, and you'll be told whether you had an impact on the other side of the world, and you'll just have to take their word for it that the thing you did uh, fixed some child's life um, on the other side of the planet, much like those uh, programs that we've had for decades and decades, you know, be a child sponsor to a child in Africa and you, you know, diligently donate $10 a week so that this child can eat. How how the hell do you know that that happened? Because they sent you photos, you know, whereas in reality um, and the old way, you knew that if you helped your friend, you could see if you helped your friend. You knew that, you know, you know your father would give you money and, and help you and he could see the direct results of this. You know, he was helping his next of kin, you know, which is a, and a, it's a biological need to look after your offspring, you know, the selfish gene and all that. If we want to talk about evolutionary biology or we can look at it from any other prism, you know, charity begins at home from the religious uh, um, aspect. And then there's just the plain old logical thing, you know. If we look after ourselves here and then those people over there can look after themselves over there instead of some, uh, you know, uh, overlord globalists uh, determining what I should have here in Victoria or what you should have over there in Toronto and what anybody uh, requires anywhere on the planet. You know, it's... um. This morality, this whole book about this, you know, happiness thing is, you know, that somebody can determine the morality of the whole world um, and create an economic and a legal system based on that. I'm just looking at your your Rumble channel here, and that's called Niles Talks. I put a link to it in the show notes, show note number one, actually. And one of the things that you did that I really liked was reading 1984. And I'm, I'm working my way through it. I'm on, on about your eighth chapter on that. And I've read 1984, but it's, it's fun that you relate it to what's going on today. I, I never actually finished it, you know? Yeah, there you're at so... chapter 12, right? Or you're at part 12. I know it's not in chapters. Um, I'm on page, I've got it in front of me. It's page 164. Which um, is, oh, according to Orwell, it's part six or, or chapter six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I, there wasn't much traction with uh, those videos. Um, much traction on Facebook or when, when yeah, you re-uploaded yeah. anywhere, it. Anywhere. So um, the people that did like it loved it. Um, but there were very, very few people watching it, um, either live or in replay. Um, so, you know, I, I, I suppose other things happened as well. And I, I generally stopped doing videos and, and interviews. Uh, oh, is that so right? Yeah. I just looked yeah. at your last video on Rumble because I yeah. don't, I don't really follow Facebook as well because I don't go on there all the time. And I find it hard to keep track of what I've watched and what I haven't watched. It's one of the reasons I don't like Facebook because I use RSS feeds. And mm-hmm. by using an RSS feed, I can always tell what I've watched and I don't have to watch it again because there's so much stuff. I, I find it really hard to keep track otherwise. And um, 
one of the things you were saying on your last video is you were getting kind of frustrated with the great masses and they're just going along with it and not doing anything. And I thought you, you were, you sounded quite frustrated. So this is, it was six days ago. So I don't, I know you can't see your screen, but. Um, it, it, it's not a particularly great video. It was just one of those, uh, eventing, <laughs> um, moments of, yeah. So you grab your, you grab your phone and start speaking on Facebook, I guess is what you do. And then, and, and let it all out. Yeah. Usually, well, that particular video, I can tell you, I was talking to, you know, my, my family, um, the dinner people, and I was just told to like, like, Cindy, we've had enough. Not that they disagree with me to clarify this, right? They've just heard enough. They just can't handle every single little detail. They just don't want, um, you know, they don't get off on it, caring about the new world order and communitarians all day. And that's, you know, I, I respect that. Um, and so I have to tell people, um, who want to hear about it. Um, but instead of actually making a new sort of informa- uh, informational or educational type video, that, that was just a straight rant of, um, yeah, there's n- nothing particularly, I think. Yeah, it is, that. it is frustrating, isn't it? Try. I don't really talk to my family about it, especially the extended family. Uh, when I found out about 9-11, that was the first thing I had to tell everyone. But man, didn't get much of a reception right then. And I I figured, wow, now I understand why this thing has gone on so long and no one's really said anything about it because just your immediate family says, why are you looking into it? Why are you saying these things that are contradictory? to what the mainstream says and you just get shut down fast. That's that's why I went and started broadcasting 12 years or 11 years ago because I wanted to see if anyone else found out what I had found out. And of course, as you know, with the worldwide internet, there are lots of people that already figured it out. So just when you think you are the smartest guy in the room, no, there's hundreds of people out there, but they're so scattered that without the internet, there's no way you'd meet them. And find out that other people have figured out what you already, what you, what I took 11 years to figure out. A lot of people figured it out five years after. So I think it's the same way as communitarianism and SDGs and all these things. Yes. Um, well, we're not just scattered. We've got like algorithms stacked against us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a major component of my frustration is not even directed uh, or has nothing to do with the people who are, you know, uh, sleeping um, and don't know or don't understand or don't believe anything that of what we're saying. The people that think everything is normal and, you know, there was a pandemic and um, two planes went into two buildings, like, you know, those uh, those aren't the people. They're just straight sleeping. Um, I don't how can you get upset with them? You know, they're just, um, it's like getting upset with a chicken that doesn't understand two plus two. Um, so what I'm most frustrated by is the people who have been in this movement, who are in the resistance, who have, you know, uh, been following and have all these, uh, all this information at their fingertips. Like they're the people that the information hasn't been censored from because they are inside the echo chamber. And yet they don't understand the sophistication of 
controlled opposition, um, whether that is an actual person, a profile um, that's been built up to take the people who have put one foot into truth um, and to steer them and corral them into the same to the same ultimate destination via another car on the train. And not just them, but the actual technological playing field, which is at something like a 90 degree or 170 degree angle at this point. We're about to fall off the playing field. It is so stacked up against us. Um, you know, technology, AI, you know, gamers, um, uh, is probably a good example. You know, the, the gaming industry where it, it's designed by the military and it's designed for simulations. So they can simulate, um, you know, this scenario and that scenario. I'll make this a little bit clearer. The first time I heard about AI um, and generalized intelligence um, or what we, they hope to make generalized intelligence to be, and generalized intelligence is, you know, what sort of mimics human intelligence closest. Um, straight AI, straight artificial intelligence is just algorithms. Um, it doesn't have like that sort of self-awareness aspect to it or the feeling of self-awareness. So the first time I heard about AI, it was in the context of, oh, help me with the name if you can, uh, mm-hmm. the guy that was playing chess, the chess champion who played against AI and got beaten by it. And this All was right. like the big. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know you're talking about. I can't really remember who is. It was the big blue. Was the big brain that he was playing against, and it was was it uh, Kasparov? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. Um, so that was the first time I heard it. Um, and everyone was like, "Fuck!" Oh, oh, sorry about that. That's wow. all right. <laughs> we, know, can, wow. we can swear here. A, a, um, you know, if the AI beat the best human mind on the planet, um, in chess, right? And it was, it was awesome as in all provoking news, um, that a computer could beat a human. Now, why was it that this is where it started? You know, chess playing. Because chess playing is about being able to think 5, 10, 50, 100 moves in advance. And if I move this one here, it could go one of 7,000 different ways. Um, now, that is the art of war. You know, being able to predict all the variations of what could happen and having a response a counterattack to every single one of those um, simulations. And so this is the blueprint of what the New World Order is about, what technocracy is about, what AI is about, um, predictive analytics, because this is how they intend to run our lives, right, to be able to predict what we're going to do um, before we do it right. and 
actually nudge us and shape us into doing, into behaving the way they want us to behave for a specific outcome. So there's a reason for that simulation, why it's been going on for a really long time. And with all the, you know, the kids and the men or whoever, you know, people around the planet that have been gaming for, you know, tens of years now, that's data that they've been collecting. So they've simulated all these different situations. You know, what's Facebook about? What's social media about? What, what are these cameras that have been looking at us, um, you know, whilst we, we read and we type and we uh, look at memes or whatever, or we talk to our friends? What's all that about? It's about a data repository of the human condition yeah, because, sure. yeah. you know, we have to teach the machines to substitute humanity and humans won't like them if they're not familiar, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, there's something called xenophobia, which means, you know, like a, a fearing the unknown. Yeah. So if AI robots act like us, you know, we'll be more comfortable with them. So, and ultimately. Still there, Cindy? I think Cindy's phone may have died. Okay, hold on. We're just going to see if it dials her back. Maybe she, there you are. You're back. Are you back? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I didn't move, no, but I... all of a sudden I have a poor connection. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I don't know how much of that you caught and if you want any of that repeated. No, I, um, you only, we only lost 10 seconds, so you can keep talking. Okay, so uh, hyper-automation, the fourth industrial revolution, and, you know, you know, number four in a series of industrial revolutions what is the industrial revolution? It's basically doing away with human labor and scaling up technology, automated technology. And there's, I hate to use the word, but there's kind of a consensus that this is kind of like the ultimate step in automation, um, that after this, it will be the robots and the AI that, um, enact a fifth um, industrial revolution. It won't be so like what what ties all the industrial revolutions before this one is that it was humans, pure and pure each time, that decided we're going to shake things up, we're going to have a few wars, um, and we'll, we'll do all these different things and introduce this new technology. Oh, I know why the... My power had gone out. I didn't realize because it's day, but oh, the lights. Your power flicked, huh? Yeah. Flicked your router, flicked your internet connection. Okay. Well, I've got, anyway. Um, okay. So that was what. So you're saying the, ro- the robots will move us to the fifth industrial yeah. revolution is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. This is the last time we play our hand. Well. Uh, industrial revolution and everything that comes with it. After this, I, it, and this is, it's not entirely, it's, it's a considered hypothesis 
Um, but if everything is being automated to the point where computers order humans about rather than us, you know, pressing buttons and going, hey, make me 5,000 tiles that I don't have to make by hand, um, when it's going to get to the point where um, automation AI run our lives because that's what, you know, this credit rating system and this surveillance technology is about. Well, the next step logically will be the um, the robots uh, moving into the fifth industrial revolution. And the way it looks to me is, and this is, you know, to reach right into conspiracy theory territory is like the matrix, you know, where we become batteries, a source of energy for the robots. Yeah, that's crazy. I think you're, I think you're going on your latest post. Oh, so actually this is from July 18th. Oh, you pinned this post about the, um, the great reset and the convergence. I think, yeah, the computer is called the brain. It will run the trains. It will control the traffic lights, the water supply and the power. So I think that's sort of what you're talking about here a little bit overlap. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. That's, um, that's a sort of longer read where I try to sort of bring it all together. Um, and that's why I've pinned it because it's, you know, the forest and not the tree. Um, and, but that's, so it's kind of like uh, a little bit uh, difficult to understand the, the text if you don't have a lot of these principles and concepts already in mind. Um, so what I've done is juxtapose it with, well, here's the plainest and simplest way I can show you what I'm talking about. And that is to give you, um, what the children are receiving as education. Yeah. Um, is, you know, the, the dumbed down, simple version of what we're saying. How many people are going to get this? This is pretty heavy duty futurism. Extrapolation. I, I just don't think the average person is going to be able to get their mind around this. This is this is pretty darn sophisticated, futuristic government. And I know the groundwork is being laid because there's a couple of people in Canada that are even showing. There's one lady in Western Canada that has a website called CanuckLaw.ca, and she is showing us the laws that are being proposed right now to bring in all this global governance SDGs into Canadian law. Like it's actually happening right now. And most people don't recognize it because they just think it sounds so great. But all these private member bills that will become probably, that will probably die, but they'll take the guts of them and put them in a, a bigger bill and push it through all these amazing, uh, Things that are happening in Canada right now. So there's so many bills being proposed that really just bring and build these SDGs into Canada. So what I'm saying is they are doing an end run around people right now, the majority. They just, they're so distracted. They're never going to figure I, this out. Can I, oh, I should keep, even keep notes while we're talking. Um, you know, intuitively people think that Things start, policies start in legislation and then move into sort of education, health, the private industry. Um, the opposite's happened. That 
they first went through the private industry, the education. I mean, they infiltrated, subverted. Yeah. Um, they did all that. The policies are already running through private corporations because they don't need government approval right. to make policy, right? right? That's why supermarkets were saying, oh, you can't come in without a mask. They didn't need, they didn't require the law um, to, to sort of be on their side or, you know, stipulated for them to have, you know, their own um, policies. Right. So now that we are in that phase, where we are rewriting our constitutions because that's where we're at now. Yeah. Um, it's this is the end. It's not the beginning, and this is what people need to understand because there's a lot of people who are trying to fight this on on that level of you know we've got to do it through legislation, we've got to do it through the courts, and blah 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 blah. Um. I'm going to stop this from happening. It's like, no, no, it's already happening. The surveillance infrastructure is there. It's in your face. It's in your street. When your kid rides his bike up and down the street, he's just, you know, he's being harvested for data. He's being watched. His facial expressions are being watched. His reactions to cars, to birds, to, you know, birds whistling, whatever are being recorded. Um, so, you know, this is, this is the end. Those are the laws you're talking about. Our countries signed up to these when we agreed to the uh, Paris Treaty in 2015, when yes, we definitely. signed up to the Rio Summit, Earth Summit in 1992. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a done deal from that perspective. Um, there was yeah. something else said. Yeah, not too many people understand that. Um, uh, there's, okay. there's one other Canadian that I follow and that's all there is that I can find that talks about this. This might be someone that you might want to look at because he says a lot of the things you're saying and he's on TikTok. His name is, uh, Mark Friesen and he's, How uh, say that again. How do I spell his surname? Friesen, F-R-I-E-S-E-N. I'll put a I'll put a link to the show note here so you can easily mm-hmm. find it. But today's okay. show notes are all going to be in today's show, and I'm pretty organized that way. This will be show note number six. Mark okay. Friesen. This is his TikTok. Um, TikTok is where everyone is right now, and he really um, nailed it right here. I'll just give you a bit of what he is talking about here. I actually took one of his videos and put it on FacoTube, my platform. And I have it under fake11.com forward slash eight because he explains the, the scam, the carbon tax and carbon pricing is the funding mechanism to bring in the worldwide social governance or the SDGs because it's going to cost eight trillion dollars a year. Just a, just a mind boggling number to re do and restructure the entire economy. So let me just play this video. I played it before. I'll play it one more time so you All can right, listen. So here's the thing. And, and conservative supporters, you need to ask your party, you need to ask your leader, you need to pressure your MPs to answer the question. Can you hear that okay? Yes. Okay. 
Yes, Banjo. That's his dog. Um, <laughs> why is it that they're committed to the Paris Accord? They must understand what I understand. That this whole carbon tax, carbon pricing scam. And thanks to the person who pointed this out in my comment section. Appreciate it. Uh, it is a scam. It's a funding mechanism. Back in 2012, the UN, one of their committees came up with an agenda. It's right up here. Um, to determine how they're going to pay for the sustainable development agenda that had a price tag in their estimate of $5 trillion annually. They were wrong. It's actually $8 trillion annually. The cost of the sustainable development agenda and meeting the sustainable development goals, targets, and indicators. <laughs> That's the price tag. So they wanted to figure out a way that they could fund this agenda. And the best thing they come up with was a carbon tax, a tax on carbon. So they created the enemy, which is CO2, which is ridiculous. It's a fundamental building block of all life on earth. Without Jim, it. Yeah, go for it. At 150 parts per yeah. minute. Can you pause it? Yeah. For just two yeah. minutes. Go ahead. I'll be, I'll be right back. I want to hear it and I want to respond. Yeah, but for I, sure. I need just two minutes. Take your break. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. All right. That's Cindy Niles, who's on the line from the Corporation of Victoria, the Corporation of Australia. She, we've been talking for about an hour and a half. We're talking about all her favorite topics that you can see on Niles Talks on Rumble. And if you're on Facebook, which some people refuse to go on, she has two profiles where you can look her up as well. And she's one of the few people in the world that understand Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, Communitarianism, SDGs, ESGs, all the alphabet acronyms that uh, very few other people in the world talk about. Mark Friesen's one of them, and uh, he is—he walks the walk and he talks the talk. He does a lot of his stuff on TikTok. He also has a Rumble channel. If I look on the side here, he is called, he has a bunch of different names. There he is, Mark Friesen here. So you can see his work here. And he posts many of his videos here. He's gone through, he's going through or has gone through the SDGs. He's going through all 17 of them. And... Does a really good job. He is speaking with another podcaster called Acres for Truth. They're also on Rumble. And it is right here on the very top, tippy top, Acres for Truth. I'll put a link to their their uh, channel here in the show notes. That'll be show note number seven, Acres of Truth. And they go through all the different SDGs. I think they're up to number six right now. And are you back, Cindy? And I'll put a link to his other one, Mark Friesen. This is his Rumble channel. And we have to cross-promote everybody here because this is what it's all about because there just aren't enough people that understand what's going on or have the capacity to figure out this massive restructuring of the entire world all based on a series of lies. The biggest one, of course, was 
was COVID. We should talk about COVID as well, a little bit, Cindy, as well. Um, as well. Sure, sure. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but, but this is a really good guy. I think you'd like, I think you'd like Mark. Please let that, yeah, let that, uh, video play. So, yeah, I, I got a couple more 30 seconds left. So they created the enemy, which is CO2, which is ridiculous. It's a fundamental building block of all life on earth. Without it, at 150 parts per million in the atmosphere, all life on Earth begins to die. So why are we eliminating it from our atmosphere when we know that it actually encourages plant growth and more vegetation and bigger plants, the more CO2 there is in the atmosphere, which in turn actually cools the planet. So why are we getting rid of CO2? Why are we playing this game? Because it's a funding mechanism. That's it. That's all. Anyway, he, he really laid it out simply. I thought it was really good. We have a carbon tax here in Canada, and most people are just eating it as if it's inevitable. But the big thing to come down the line, and this is another person some people love and some people hate named Chris Skye, where he talks about the PCA, the personal carbon allowance, that is also being baked into the cake and coming to a uh, bakery near you where you are only given 1.5 to 2 tons of carbon allowance per year, which won't get you very far. It won't let you do too many things, but that's coming too. Redistribution of wealth. Yeah. The best way to control consumption, Mm -hmm. and this uh, goes back to restructuring the economy, the new international economic Order is something one can Google to find it. Right. Um, so, you know, um, that's what the new world order is. Yeah, the, the re- it's a reductionist method. So money, physical cash money, even that horrible fiat debt-based fractional reserve stuff mm-hmm. gives you a, um, a certain amount of freedom. You know, you own money and you spend it how you wish, whether you want to uh, use it in mileage crisscrossing the uh, planet in an aeroplane or you want to smoke it all or you want to drink it all or um, have a barbecue with all of it, um, that's your choice. Um, but when uh, by getting rid of that, we come down to um, the very foundation of rationing, um, a very large component of communitarianism is, you know, the, the, the rationing system of, well, this is how much wealth we've got because, you know, there's also the, uh, the underlying assumption that the, the other big lie to the carbon lie is scarcity. Scarcity of water. Wait for that one, by the way, Tim. It's coming in March, March 22nd to 24th. Oh, um, wow. New York. There will be a uh, conference, a United Nations conference on water. Um, and there's, and water is going to be as big of a deal as this carbon rubbish. Right. Okay. Um, so the best way to control humans is with the essentials. You know, remember essential workers and the essentials are food, water, medicine, education. Um, and that's it. 
and that's what the uh, 20 minute neighborhoods um, sort of get reduced down to. Like, here are your essentials. We're giving you your essentials for happiness. And according to Etzioni in this book, that's what we're offering you. Um, you know, we've analyzed, you know, the, the past and, and society and what makes people happy is volunteering and doing good and having the basic essentials. So now we're going to turn it into law for 8 billion people on the planet. Okay. Um, so, you know, this, um, the carbon allowance is the big part the of carbon, it. Yeah. The thing, yeah. The other thing that, um, Mark, said about, you know, carbon and and actually reducing it, they're actually not going to reduce carbon, even um, like consumption of fossil fuels or all of the actual programs that and all the investment of these public-private partnerships running through the World Economic Forum, um, all these monopolies, uh, they, they've just designed a, a new monopoly board, um, another way to hoard um, the the resources of the earth, and that that one of the uh, rules of that game is um, money shifting. Like you pay, you know, your affiliate other company, you know, your your buddies basically in the boardroom. You pay that company so that they can uh, sequester the carbon from the atmosphere. So you can pollute all you like as long as you because they call carbon pollution. Right. Um, as long as you uh, in, invest, as long as you pay someone to clean it up for you, and this cleaning up process is um, things like capturing carbon and sticking it in the ground in rocks. Um, you know, it's how many times do we have to see the same playbook and the same principle bearing out um, a terrible consequence, you know, this, oh, look, we're going to make, you know, nuclear uh, fission, blah, blah, energy. Um, there'll be nuclear waste, not from a spill, not from a reactor going wrong, no, but the water that, you know, cools down these reactors is uh, reactive itself, and that is nuclear waste that we do not know what to do with so we bury it in concrete vats on the other side. We transport it from one side of the world to the other to get rid of it. Yeah. And we know it's going to be, re- you know, reactive for a thousand years, but we keep insisting that this is good. So they're doing the same thing with carbon. Um, they're both so scams they're- in my mind, by the way. Both of them are scams. The carbon is not bad for us, like you said, and I don't think nuclear radiation exists the way they tell us either. So that's... Well, that, say that- again. That's there, a, there you go. I've that's got, another I huge got scam. Much of an opinion. Yeah, I haven't got much of an opinion because I don't have like direct knowledge of it. So I leave it open yeah. um, what that is, but I can go, I can talk to the rhetoric, right. which is that. Um, now, the amount of energy, this simulation of the earth um, and all the natural processes, all the creatures, all the data they want to collect, um, it, it it doesn't fit in my mind. And if you think about it properly, okay, that they want to collect the data of uh, where the wind is blowing, how it's blowing, 
um, all the layers in a geospatial information system um, is, you know, what's happening in the upper atmosphere, in the lower atmosphere, what's happening underground, what's happening through the utilities, all the people that are on the planet, what they're doing, all the creatures, what they're doing, um, you know, what the river is doing, what the dust particles are doing, what's, you know, Tim's microbiome doing today. Well, let's see his, uh, you know, waste in the toilet. Um, let's control all the, the vehicles on the planet through this data harvesting um, system. Like think about how much electricity that's going to require. Um, I think ultimately, and again, this is a hypothesis based on, you know, some evidence, um, all this uh, renewable stuff, that's just part of the Hegelian dialectic. I think they, they're going to pull the rug on that when people realize um, and people get upset that they don't have enough energy. Right. And then they're going to introduce the, um, the solution, which is uh, nuclear fusion, not, you know, new technology again. Um, and they're not going to tell you the uh, repercussions of that technology, just like G and just like every other technology. They never know what they're doing. They don't have studies to prove it, um, that it's healthy, that it's okay, like the vaccine. Um, but they're just going to force it onto us, and we are going to beg for it, Tim, because we will be so sick of our rationed uh, energy because they're going to put community batteries in our local areas, and we're going to be fighting over power. If yeah, we, yeah, so. if we get that far, yeah, 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 I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know how long people are going to put up with that, that whole concept. But maybe Europe may be different because they're a little closer together. But man, flipping the United States, especially, and Canada will go more easily. But some parts of the United States, I just don't. I see them fighting this the whole way. Honestly, I do. That's I what, see civil war is what I see. Yeah, maybe. What was your yeah. take um, when the whole COVID announcement started on 3-11-2020? Were you awake enough, aware enough at the so, time? So, yeah, no, I knew it was all bullshit. Did you, did you figure this was going to be a 10-year ten year episode that no, that we weren't really going to get out of? The, the day that um, they told Melburnians on the TV, because it was the TV that said it, right? Yeah. Um, to lock themselves up and close their businesses. So we'd had like a couple of weeks of mask mandates, which I disregarded and thought, I was I was getting I was getting really scared at that point of oh shit here we go here we go this is it not COVID this is the new world order it's yeah. here it's arrived this is the big one yeah yeah that's what um, I thought so there was that build up for um, I would say since December of 2019 is when I saw how far and how quickly they were going to push this thing <sighs> sorry background at the time I was. Uh, a volunteer advocate for a um uh an endocrine group and so people were in there with their endocrine problems and so medical talk and information regarding anything medical 
uh, would come through this group. Oh. This, uh, it was a support and information group. Does that, so does does that include that includes diabetes? I'm guessing. Uh, yes, but I was uh, kind of specialized in hyperparathyroidism. Um, so that's the parathyroid glands, not the thyroid. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the, the specialty of the group and oh, wow. where my focus was. was. And so the, these people who were, I mean, who comes to these groups, group, uh, people that have been, um, uh, who are completely disabused of, you know, the uh, medical system and who've worked it out that it's never going to help them. So they go to other people on the internet and they trust strangers um, who turn out to help them better than, you know, these doctors that have been at these universities for, you know, 15 years. Anyway, so these people are, you know, generally they're researchers and they're up to date with anything medical. doesn't make them totally bright, um, but I could see the fear and I could see that they were posting stuff about China and this flu and um, and I'm like, oh, no, here we go, uh, because I had already worked out the H1N1 and all those other vaccines and all those other pretend hoax pandemics, the, those trial balloons. Right. Um, so I, I had all that already and therefore it was easy for me to see. Um, the real panic set in. Uh, when they they forced the masks, well, mandated the masks for right. a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and then when they declared go home, shut your shops, lock yourselves down, and I was in uh, I was in urban Melbourne at the time. That's where I was living. I was in one of those really gentrified areas of you know rainbow coloured hair. I don't know my gender type places. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were putting on a mask to get to the letterbox and go back into the house. Um, that's And when those people locked themselves down, um, I raised, I literally raised a black flag in the front yard. Um, oh, that would have been funny. <laughs> um, I thought people would question it. I thought they'd understand it. Like this, I suppose this is where my, my blind spot is, is I couldn't comprehend how they couldn't see it. I couldn't comprehend how they couldn't see that the whole toilet paper shortage was totally contrived and bullshit. Um, it, like it just didn't make sense to me that everybody was really, really scared when nobody had seen anyone or knew anyone that was sick. You know, that, you know, nobody was dropping dead. Like, um, but that's where the dread and that's when for, for a year I would wake up, um, like a person who's lost somebody very, very near and dear to them, you know, you know, somebody's died and each morning when you wake up, the first thing you realize is, you know, so-and-so is dead. Like I have to live another day with that person dead. It's the, the realization hitting you every morning, like a tidal wave. And every morning it was COVID. Like I would dream COVID and I'd wake up to this COVID narrative which never stopped, you know, COVID, 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 and I could see everybody around me collapsing under rhetoric. You know, they were being murdered with words. Um, and it took me a full oh, two and a half, three years to reach a point where I could even pick up a book again and read it um, that wasn't about, you know, that wasn't, very, very narrowly about the situation that we're in. 
Like I, I haven't been able to watch a movie or a series um, or, or, or read a book for a really long time, and it's only just recently that I've um, adapted to the new normal, I suppose, whatever the hell that means. Mm-hmm. Well, I do know what it means, but to a point where, well, this is life now. This is yeah, it's we not going to change. Um, but now uh, there is a little bit of room in my head for for other things. Um, probably it's not a very um, optimistic thing. Actually, I would say that it's a type of defeatism. This is the way things are. I can't change it, no matter how loudly I scream, um, and no matter how loudly we all scream. Uh, therefore, uh, I, I have to sort of try and find a way to find some joy in my life rather than thinking joy will come when I fix this. Mm, yeah. It's not going to, yeah, we're not going to change it so much. What, uh, do you, do you know anyone that's been injured or killed by the vaccine? Cause you say you go on evidence. So have you seen any evidence that this thing is, um, well, I hardly know anyone to begin with. Right. Uh, the person that was uh, injured by the vaccine was my grandmother. Um, I've had personal injury with a vaccine, um, with inject- other injectables as well. So when I was 11, I was given the hepatitis B. And if anyone, uh, God, that's bad. Don't take it. Don't give it to your kids. Um, and I was also injured with uh, Depo-Provera, which is a uh, a um, contraceptive injection. Right. I remember so, that one. Yeah, I don't hear about so that anymore. I've known, I've known about vaccines, and that's why I researched them. And my heavy research, like I spent about three years, mm-hmm. uh, I focused on the childhood schedule right. because I had come to the point where I thought, I um, I want to have a child, but I need to know, I need to have made all the decisions in advance. And I knew that there was smoke and I knew that I had some kind of injury and I knew it was the atrogenic, um, but I needed to like know the research, right? So I spent about three years looking at the children's schedule and discovered that they are poisoning the generations. Um, each year it's getting worse. And from there, um, sorry, what what was the question I was answering? Yeah, oh, just did you do you know I anyone? Up, yeah, I, I ended up deciding not to have children because it was the big gateway into how much malice there is, how much destruction, um, and that I knew that if I had a child, that child I would either have to raise it. As a warrior, which meant isolation, which meant it would never have friends. It would never have anything in common. So this is pre-COVID. Um, oh, wow. Or, or I would have a child that, you know, fitted into, you know, normality of the society. And that would mean, um, watching it be poisoned, uh, in the mind and in the body. And I couldn't tolerate either idea because creating a warrior is so selfish. Knowing what was coming, 
not to the degree that things have happened, um, but knowing that that child would never have, you know, what I've always wanted, and that is to love people. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be able to. So I didn't have children based on my research into vaccines, which um, was also, I suppose, my direct experience was as a teacher seeing the kids um, and what and how they changed. And each time they got a shot, what, what changed in them, I saw it. And I had my own personal experience. Well, that's sad. That's sad in the sense that the New World Order got you by preventing you from reproducing because that's 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 a loss i would say when it comes to life in general it's such a paradox you know like Mm -hmm. if it hadn't Mm -hmm. i wouldn't be doing this i'm talking about it yeah you know it's really weird it's sad you know i hadn't been injured i i would have possibly been a sheeple Mm -hmm. or something and everybody around me would have got the vaccine maybe half of them would be dead like i you know, it's one of those sliding doors thing of, well, thank you, New World Order, for destroying me um, yeah. so that I can wake up and try to destroy you back and save myself from the heartache of destroying something more important than me, which would be my child. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, yeah, it is sad. It's a, it's a loss. It, it's sort of a victory for the New World Order because that's their goal is just depopulation. Yeah. Detach women from their God-given yeah. right to reproduce, and man, that's that's kind of that's dark. So you really, you really understand the whole injury program of the of vaccines, and the whole agenda is is very satanic, I would say. If people have understood nothing else from this interview, yeah, um, don't. Give your children, your babies, don't allow them to inject them because they do it within 24 hours of the baby being born. They give that hepatitis B within 24 hours of the child being born. And I was a healthy 11-year-old and I was injured. Mm, mm, So I was mm. a kid that never went to doctors. I didn't have any chronic diseases. I didn't have asthma. I didn't have – I didn't take antibiotics. Well, great. You know, so – I can't even imagine that being given to a 24-hour-old baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. From what I know about it now, and and yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty shocking, pretty shocking the the house of cards that they built on the vaccine. And I I was hoping that once this whole COVID thing, if it ever ended, when I when it first started, I thought if hopefully it, the whole world will reject the vaccine in general and and um, the whole vaccine program but i'm not sure that's going to happen 3 years in tim do you mind if i go after i read out just one little thing yeah we've been going for almost 2 hours so that would be fine okay so from this happiness is the wrong metric communitarian book of amatai etsioni's he says Thus, when I tried to sort out when privacy should yield to the common good, for instance, to protect public health, I found it helpful. I found it helped me uh, think through more generally how one is to deal with the clashes between two core values. 
And so what he's saying there is privacy of information, um, which also spills into bodily autonomy and agency over your own body. And what he's arguing is for the common good, you know, um, it trumps um, what's good for the individual. And yeah. that is the crux of of communitarianism. And people were forced to take the vaccine for other people, not for them. They were forced to wear masks, not for them, but for other people, for the community. They were told to close their businesses for the community, not for themselves. And from that example, that real-world experience that everybody on this planet had, so you don't have to uh, read any books to understand that. You don't need to have understood any part of the conversation really that we've had, that that is the blueprint of life forevermore in this system. You may be injured for the greater good and that will never matter because they've argued about it, that their argument is a moral and ethical, um, it's called applied ethics and the other word for applied ethics is, um, where is it here? I should know it because it's a Greek word, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> deontological ethics, deontological meaning, um, that which is binding and duty, a science of moral duties. And that is the system we're going to be running on. Deontological uh, ethics. I just looked that up. Never heard of it in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, it derives from the Greek it, word deon, always, duty. Yeah. So they always use these, you know, words that nobody understands. Mm-hmm. Uh, communitarianism, another thing nobody is ever going to want to Google. Um the, the, the point being is, is it's applied ethics. And when you apply something that's never been applied, ethics was a question for philosophers. It was not a, um, you know, an application. Um, in fact, all of the applied sciences, um, on a philosophical level are, oh, they're not ethical. And, and, the last thing that they have added the word applied to is ethics because ethics is the the questioning and the quest to find out, you know, what is ethical? And when you apply ethics, basically you're applying law. And when you apply law based on science and technology, that fluid stuff, that ever-changing, you know, evolving things, you will never know where you stand. So, those people that took the vaccine and went, well, that's okay. I wanted to take the vaccine and I wanted to wear the mask. But tomorrow, they don't know what the new laws will be or the new mandates or the new policies. And they better watch out because I can guarantee there is something that uh, will absolutely ruin your life. The anti-vaxxers were the canaries in the coal mine and it's coming for everyone. They're going to take things away from people. Um, the things that we cherish most in the West, they're going to take. 
Wonderful. Thank you very much for listening to me, Tim. That was very interesting. Are you hopeful for the future? Can you leave us with something hopeful, a hopeful thought? Um, Is there any hope in your research whatsoever? Um, I would be more hopeful uh, if people sort of focused less on very, very prominent people on social media and influencers and celebrities um, and actually looked to the information that's truly being censored because if somebody's a celebrity with 3 million viewers and 15 million followers and so on and so forth, that's not censored information. We in the resistance have to understand finally that somebody with you know, 150,000 followers or 15 million followers is not a censored person. Um, and therefore that information is not censored. So there is something wrong with that information. And that doesn't mean that it's lies. It means that there's something missing or they're gatekeeping, um, or there's a new message coming through. And if that new message, if that message that you're seeing, is new ageism and spirituality. You know that you've landed in um, sustainable development goals land. You've landed into the United Nations. You've just come on a different train car. Um, what would give me hope is people taking uh, direct action locally, um, go attending their councils, um, or in the States, uh, I don't know, you know, the, the, the framework is different over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and learning something called the Delphi te- technique. Yeah, Delphi technique. Yep, Delphi yeah. technique. Yep. Yeah. Really, really important to understand that so that you know when you're being steered, um, away from, you know, you, you've got an idea in your head of, look, I don't want to be tracked and traced and I don't want, you know, these cameras and to live in a smart city. And then you get to the protests and they're saying, oh yeah, we don't, we don't believe in, um, we don't want low traffic neighborhoods. We want to be given free reign to, to move about in the city, um, with no, um, with no direction whatsoever to actually remove the infrastructure. So this is a problem. Because the council might go, okay, all right, we're not going to restrict your movement. You can, you know, drive around as you wish. And they will continue to put up the infrastructure, which is our geofencing, which is what will tie our hands and and put a noose around our necks just because they said the policy is this or the policy is that. Policy is fluid. That hardware, however, that's not fluid. That has to come down. and. Don't let anybody argue, oh, you're a Luddite, or you don't want fast broadband, um, and all this other rhetoric. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, prison bars are prison bars. You either get it or you don't. Those prison bars might have Wi-Fi on them to help you download a movie. Do you still want those prison bars? We had internet without that technology, without the LED lights and the smart poles. We can have our internet and, you know, eat our cake too or however mm-hmm. you want to say it. Yeah. But this is not what we want. 
Okay, Cindy, good job. I appreciate uh, the discussion tonight. Very interesting. You you pack a big punch. You have a ton of research. Everyone needs to go to your Cindy Niles research page on Rumble. Niles Talks, that's what it's called. I was trying to find it in my list here. Niles Talks. I'll put a link to that in the show notes tonight. And if you're on Facebook, you can go find Cindy Niles. She has two profiles. There are links to that in tonight's show notes. And uh, Cindy, hopefully we'll talk again soon, maybe, and dive in deeper. But otherwise, <laughs> go to Niles Talks. You have your rants on there every every couple weeks, and it's it's good stuff. Good, really interesting stuff. And uh, not too many people have your passion and knowledge all in one in punch, all in one punch. So keep it up. There are people listening out here. There are people paying attention. So thanks to Lark in Texas for bringing me, you to my attention and Brian and Jenna and uh, have a great night. Thank you. You too. All right. All bye. Bye bye. There goes Cindy. Interesting. Fascinating. She's got tons of videos. I put many of them on FacoTube. Make sure you head over to FacoTube. And when you find a video by Cindy, you can go to the source. And that will also give you the links to her to her channel. As you can see here, she's had lots of views. Over 600 views, 700 views on FacoTube. Lots of Cindy Niles stuff on FacoTube. Really good stuff. Just type in her name, Cindy Niles. And it's a big topic. All this communitarian stuff, it, it'll fry your brain. But it's important information and everyone needs to know it because it's coming whether you like it or not. Unless you are aware of what's coming, you might want to pay attention. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, joining. Don't forget, we are value for value. If you like the show, send me an email. Send me a donation at fakeologist.com forward slash donate. I didn't even get to talk about crypto and alternate currency systems with Cindy. But as you know, I am looking into different ones. Epic Cash is one of them. You can send me a donation with the Beat wallet or the Epic Pay wallet. And Epic has doubled in the last three days. I'm not saying it is a great investment, but people are starting to pay attention that matter with regards to Epic Pay. And if you want to start paying attention, then go to fake11.com forward slash Epic and take a peek. Even if you don't invest in it, you might want to look at another way of sending money and value. Otherwise, we take credit cards, cash, fakeologist.com forward slash donate. Thank you for joining. And don't forget to check out all the audio chats from the weekend. We have one, two, three, all from different members of the Fakeologist community. Lots of stuff here. Lots of content. There's 10 hours right there. Even if I don't do another show this week, you are going to have tons to listen to from the Fakeologist audio and video network. All right. Thank you for joining. Have a great night. And we'll see you next time.